Good morning. Welcome, church. It's wonderful to be here, house of God, with the people of God. If you would stand with me, um, if you're able, if you would like to, don't have to. I just ask that you would take a posture of worship, what feels authentic for you before God. This is between you and God. <coughs> together as we worship um, corporately, as a community, together we lift our voices to make one sound together to lift up the name of the Lord. I would ask you to just take a moment to focus your attention on the presence of God, to center our hearts on him. He is here with us. The spirit of God is among us. So let's just take a breath, take a moment. It's easy to forget that he's always with us. But especially now, we bring our awareness to you, God. Ask you to help us, to make us more aware, to speak to our hearts, to receive our worship as an offering, fragrant and acceptable to you. Not just songs that we sing not just words on a page, but something that is meaningful to us. Prayers that we cry out to you as we surrender ourselves to your spirit to consecrate us, to sanctify us, to make us more like the songs that we sing. And things that we declare to you, our devotion to you. Let it be true. For those of us who are struggling this morning, who have had a bad week, who are having a hard time in our lives, in our jobs, in our families, in our relationships, God, you know. You know. And we choose this morning to declare, you are enough. So we fix our eyes on you not just as a solution to our problems, but as the ultimate prize. You are enough. Help us to remember your love this morning for us. Your great, never-ending love. God, as we walk through the season of Lent, as some of us may be fasting, may be doing something different than what we normally do in our devotions or praying or in our reading, as we meditate on your time in the wilderness, on that time leading up to the cross, as we think about what's coming, as we move towards Easter and what that means for us. But before we get there, we sit in the tension of the cross. That as you, Jesus, lived your days 
leading up to that moment that you knew what was coming, that you surely felt the weight of what you knew you had to go through. Let us sit in that tension with you. Let us not get distracted with busyness and preparations and and candy and little plastic eggs, but to remember that you were also human, that you also felt pain, that you felt anxiety long before you stepped into the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, that you looked at Peter and said, get behind me. You have not in mind the things of God, but the things of man, because you knew. Because you knew. Because you didn't want anyone to get in your way, to tempt you to turn away. You needed your friends to understand, and they didn't. But you went anyway all alone. So we sit with you, Jesus, in a mixture of grief and gratitude. You did what we could not do. So every song we sing this morning, every time we talk about who you are, what you did, let us remember the weight. It's not just a story. It's not just a book. It was your life, and you lived it. And we live because of it. Jesus, let our worship this morning honor you. Amen. to worship this morning. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more.
cross. Jesus is waiting. God so loved the world. Amen. Hey, this call to worship this morning from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross therefore god exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's why we're here this morning. To bow our knee, to declare with our tongues, you are Lord.
righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Sing that again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame.
Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's so good to see you all. We missed you while we were gone, and I'm so just overjoyed to be back and to see your faces and to worship with you uh, and to share this time together. Uh, Before we go into a time of prayer, uh, there are a few things that I wanted to uh, share with you or emphasize with you. Um, I want to encourage ladies to please sign up for the girls' night if you're able to come. Uh, This is going to be a really fun time. It's going to be a little bit different than what previous girls' nights have looked like. So please sign up to come. Invite a friend uh, or two if you want. And um, I'm really excited. I think it's long overdue, and it's going to be a great time. So if you have not made a point to look at the sign-up sheet, please do so. Sign up. Let us know what you can bring. Uh, But most importantly, we just want you to be there. Um, And I also want to let you know that next week uh, is Dwight and Brenda's last Sunday. And so we are going to have a farewell fellowship. Hopefully this will be the end of those for a little while. Um, But we're going to have a farewell fellowship for them next Sunday morning at 930 in the foyer. uh, Pastries and coffee as we've done that in the past. Uh, No Sunday school next week. So I hope you can come, maybe for some, just come a little bit early and just spend some time uh, with them, letting them know how much you appreciate all that they've done. Uh, We appreciate all uh, that Dwight has done as an interim pastor here in between pastors a few years ago, all the times that he has stepped in and has preached uh, a great word to us. He has uh, just been a a great encouragement to me, and I have just really um, looked to him for some things as I seek to be a better pastor, and he has provided that. And then Brenda, all that she has done uh, taking over our nursery and just getting that to a good place, and she's going to leave some big shoes to fill. Um, And so we just appreciate them, and we want to let them know that next week. So make plans to join us a little earlier next Sunday as we uh, spend some time with them. And then finally, leading up into our prayer time today, uh, starting today, this begins uh, what the Church of the Nazarene has done for uh, the past several years now, uh, called the NMI Week of Prayer. Uh, And there's some information on the screen that we're going to share with you guys. Um, You can scan one uh, or two, or one of the two or both of these images. Um, These are downloadable, so digital or printable Uh, documents that you can download and print or just download and have on your phone uh, that talk about this next week of prayer. So what we're going to be doing is, uh, so this first one is the adult one. So go ahead and spend a few moments with that one and you can get that one opened up and then we'll wait a few minutes and then we can go to the kids one. We wanted to give the kids option as well. The kids have their own prayer guide. Uh, But this initiative is so that we can spend some intentional time praying for the global church of the Nazarene. I say this to you often. We actually had a wonderful membership class today, and this is one of the things we talked about was that we are a global church, that we are so much bigger than just us here at BFCN. Uh, We are a part of a global body that is in now 165 world areas as of a few days ago. uh, We just recently included Belgium. Belgium. And so we are now, uh, the Church of the Nazarene has a presence there too. So we are a global church and we want to spend the next week just uh, in intentional prayer 
for each region of the global church of the Nazarene, beginning with today, uh, just praying in general for the global church. So I encourage you to download this guide. Uh, we'll, we'll have that on the screen. Maybe we can put that up again at the end of the service for anyone who might have missed it. Um, I believe there's a sample out in the foyer if you want to take a look at that. And then I hope that you will spend a few moments over the next week each day praying for each region of the Church of the Nazarene, uh, our brothers and sisters, the global church in general. Uh, but there are specific ways that you can pray. There's praises and prayer requests for each day. So we're going to kick that off this morning in our time of prayer. We're going to pray for the global church uh, as a part of our corporate prayer time this morning. So let's all just join together in prayer. God, it is good to be in this place together. I uh, am grateful for times away. And one of the, the reasons that I'm grateful for that is because I can come back and I'm just reminded how, how much of a gift it is to have this congregation, this body of believers uh, that I can come home to and know that these are my people God, I thank you for the gift of the local church body. In our membership class this morning, we talked about just why membership matters, why uh, committing to a local church matters. And one of those reasons that we talked about is because we need community. We need others. We, there's so much that we cannot accomplish. There are so many ways in which we cannot grow when we try to do this alone. And so we value the gift of community. We value the gift of a local body. And I thank you for that this morning, God. It is a gift. I pray that as we worship each Sunday morning, as we come together, as we worship through uh, the reading of your word, through the singing of songs, through reading uh, your, your living scripture that calls us to worship, through our giving, through our fellowship, God, I pray that we would enter into that time aware of the fact that we are worshiping alongside one another, that we don't come here to worship alone. We don't come here to sing alone. We don't come here to proclaim these truths alone, but we come here together with other people. We worship alongside. We make it a point to look at each other, to know each other, to see each other, to acknowledge where each other, uh, where, where we are all at on this journey and it's just such a beautiful gift, God. Help us to be aware of the community with whom we worship. God, I thank you for this local church, but this morning we want to spend a few moments acknowledging that you are so much bigger than us, than just this local body. God, we take a moment to acknowledge and just try to take in the impact that is the global church. It's really difficult to comprehend just how big this body is, just how big your church is, just how big your kingdom is on earth as it is in heaven. And so this morning we want to be intentional as we lift up our prayers and praises for the global church. God, we thank you. We rejoice that over the last six years, that there have been 635,310 people who have given their lives to Christ through only just the work of the Church of the Nazarene. 
God, we thank you for the kingdom impact that is even greater than these numbers which we do not have. God, we thank you that you are not limited to the church of the Nazarene, that you are not only working in the church of the Nazarene, but we thank you that through the church of the Nazarene, we can get just a small glimpse of the impact that is being made in this world. God, that is all you. That is your spirit that goes before. It is your spirit that is moving and working in the lives of people who are being drawn to you. And you are using the the men and women that you have called to be active in their communities and in their neighborhoods and in their local churches. You are, are using them to help others to see you, to know you, to closely follow you. And we thank you for the impact that we have seen over these last several years. God, we thank you for the thousands of, of churches that have been organized over the last several years. God, we thank you that each new church, each new plant is your presence uh, through the Church of the Nazarene in a, in a local neighborhood. Again, God, we know that, that this is so much bigger than our uh, Church of the Nazarene, but we thank you, God, that that these are reminders of your faithfulness. These are reminders that you never stop moving, you never stop working, you never stop drawing people and communities to you. And so we thank you, God, that the church is alive. The church is alive. The church is, is active. The church is living and moving. And God, some of us more established churches we just pray that, that you would give us some of that new life. Help us to experience some of that new life. Help us to see, God, the ways that you are working and moving right here in our neighborhoods. God, help us to see where we can, uh, places that we can move into that are in need of, of local churches or local churches of the Nazarene. God, help us to see those, those needs, those areas that can, that, where we could plant uh, this presence in these local neighborhoods and communities. God, I pray for this body, the Church of the Nazarene. Again, God, we know that you are working in all churches, among all of your people, they're not limited to us, but God, today we just spend a few moments praying for our tradition, our Church of the Nazarene. God, help us to be a people who look and reflect, who look like and reflect you. God, help us not to just reduce ourselves down to a name or a label, but but may people see us and know us not only because we are Church of the Nazarene, but because we look and live like Jesus. God, we want that to be what is true for us. We want others to see us and to know your grace that is at work in our lives. When others look at us, may they not just see us, may they not just see a particular name or a, a particular tradition, but God, may they see living, breathing, moving, growing works of your grace. May our lives be a testimony to the fact that your grace is so good. It is more than enough to help us to grow and to look more like you. God, I pray that that we would reflect Christ in our values, in our holiness, in our mission. 
God, through our personal transformation and through our corporate transformation, may all of this reflect Christ to our neighbors, to those who don't yet know you. God, we pray that your spirit would move in such a way that those who are being called to specific vocational ministry would be aware that they would sense that call. God, we are reminded that we are all called, that every person in this room is called. None of us are exempt from the call. So God, help us to remember that you have called all of us to participate, that each person that is living and breathing and who is following you is called to participate in the work of of helping others to see and know you. But God, we know that, that you call men and women, young and old, to vocational ministry. We know, God, that... We need more men and women who will answer the call to pastor and to shepherd. God, there is what feels like an urgency. God, would you, would you make it known to those who you are calling to vocational ministry? God, would you send pastors and leaders into their lives to help them to notice the call that they may have? Would you help all of us to be aware of and to shepherd the call in all of us so that that if you are calling us to a particular place of ministry, that we would know that and that we would possibly make that known? God, your church is continuing to grow. And we know that that's going to mean that that men and women are going to be called to lead those churches. They're going to be called to to teach those classes, to minister to those local congregations, to those lay people. And so God, help us to be listening and to be obedient to the call that you have placed on our lives, whatever that call may be. Again, we, we end this time acknowledging that all of us are called that you have given us all a great responsibility. As we move into this passage, into the second week of Lent, God, would you help us to be open to your word, to maybe the specific ways that you are moving in our lives. God, I pray that we would be willing to hear from you, that we would be open to the direction of your Holy Spirit, that we would respond to the ways that you are calling us to grow, to come alongside, to encourage, to equip. God, would you help us to be obedient to whatever it is you are calling us to today. God, I pray that your words would go forth. I pray that you would go before me. May these words be yours, God. 
May you only use what is useful for building us up today, for, for teaching us today. Give us ears to hear. God, we give you the glory. We thank you for being present with us. We thank you for the ways that you guide us. Do that again, Lord, today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, this is the second Sunday of the season of Lent. Um, So we're just kind of still at the beginning of the season of Lent, and I just want to spend a moment acknowledging something that is probably true for some or many during the season of Lent. Uh, A few weeks ago at our Ash Wednesday service, I said something that may have struck some of you as peculiar, and I just want to kind of explore that a little bit more. And I borrowed these words. These are not my own words, but I borrowed these words from another pastor who says that the season of Lent is very difficult and challenging if you're doing it right. Um, I appreciated Dwight's sermon last week in a number of ways, but I really appreciated that that was the heart of, of a lot of what he was saying uh, without using those words, that, that in order to come out of the season of Lent, with this sense of renewal, with, with the sense of, of growth, with acknowledging some growth in your, in your journey, it's because you entered into the season of Lent intentionally. You didn't just meander through the season of Lent and you kind of just stumble out of the season because your pastor drug you through the season of Lent even though you didn't want to go. <laughs> But if you're open to it and if you are are sensitive to the ways that Christ wants to help you to grow during this season, it's possible that we could come out on the other side of Lent on Easter Sunday with this sense of renewal. And I want to acknowledge this, this tension that is likely felt during the season of Lent because I don't ever want to be confused with someone who is just constantly telling you that you need to do more that you need to give more, that you need to be more, that you need to die more. Like, I don't want that to be the main message. However, I do want to acknowledge that that is a possible, and I would say misunderstanding that you could, could receive from the season of Lent as we talk about denying self, as we talk about uh, renouncing self and, and dying to self and, and being more open to what God wants to do in us, that can often feel like you're just being told over and over again, you need to do more, you need to give more, you need to die more, you need to surrender more. You've already sacrificed, but you need to sacrifice more. I don't necessarily want that to be what you take. So if that's been the message thus far, and Dwight did an excellent job, and i think that it's because of his words that I wanted to be mindful of that, that if that's the message you're receiving, I want you to try as you can to let go of that message. There is some truth to what I just said, that we are being asked to deny, to lay down, to die to self, but I don't want that to be communicated in a way that makes you feel like you just can't do enough, or you're not doing enough, or you're not doing this good enough. But I also want to acknowledge that it's difficult. Because it goes against everything that, that we are, everything that our world is, to die to self, to deny self, to renounce self. Like, that is not built into us or our world. And so it is difficult. 
And I wanted to kind of preface today's passage with this because I'm afraid that if I don't, that reading this passage could feel, or should I say reading this passage isolated from its context, could feel more like Jesus is just calling us to die and to suffer, and that is the extent of the mission that he's calling us to, right? That's how it can feel uh, if it's understood apart from, from all of what's happening here. And I want to just say, I said this on Ash Wednesday, but for those of you who weren't there, I want to say that, yes, the season of Lent is about these things. And I won't pretend that it's not, but it's for a purpose, that we are after something here, that we are are longing for something here, and what we are pursuing is renewal. Anyone else desperately need renewal? Just me? (laughs) Definitely need renewal. We are after new life. Like, we are, are seeking a reminder of the life-giving power of the resurrection. That is what we are after as we walk intentionally through the season of Lent. The season of Lent is a, is a time built into the calendar that reminds us that life is hard, that this journey of following Jesus is hard. It's wonderful. It's joyous. It's, it's so good and so rich, but that doesn't mean it's not hard. And can we acknowledge that so many things in our life and in our world suck the the life right out of us? Like, it's really easy to just feel like, oh, I've got nothing. It just, uh, the world and, and what I'm going through, it just sucks the life right out of me. The season of Lent is a time where we can acknowledge that this is our reality. But Christ is offering us something so much greater. He's offering us new life. So today's passage, before we get to it, uh, today's passage is situated in the middle of this, at at first, a private conversation that Jesus is having with with his disciples. And Jesus is asking his disciples a very important question. It starts with, who do people say I am? If you're in Matthew chapter 8, who do people say I am? And they give him various responses. And and Jesus hones in and asks a really important question that that he asks of all of us, by the way, and one that we should all be prepared to answer. And that question is, who do you say I am? Jesus is asking all of us this question, and he asks his disciples, okay, that's good, but who do you say I am? And Peter doesn't miss a beat, it seems. And Peter acknowledges right away, you are the Messiah, You're him. You're the one we've been waiting for. You are the Messiah. But it's important for us to acknowledge that with that answer comes some very particular implications for Peter. That Peter's not wrong, but there is a chance, and we're going to see in a moment, that Peter doesn't fully understand what Jesus' Messiahship is going to look like. In answering, you are the Messiah, Peter was expecting, you know this, a militant Messiah, Right? A Messiah who's going to come in and overthrow this oppressive Roman government that's making life difficult for Jewish people, for the people of God. And Jesus is going to come in and kick over the tables and, and overthrow the power of the Roman government. And, and he's going to come and he's going to powerfully take up his earthly and, and kingdom glory. And the disciples are going to be coming in alongside him, just like Like, I just imagine them all on motorcycles, and like, here's Jesus, and the disciples are all on the side of him, coming in, right? Like, 
I know that's not a thing in, in their ancient context, but that's what I pictured Peter is picturing, but make it ancient. You, are you with me? <laughs> like Peter has this bad to the bone image of what it's going to look like for Jesus and the rest of them. And he's here for it. He's like, you are the Messiah. And I am so excited. And, and I need you to know, I'm going to say this a number of times because I need you to know, I am not trying to disparage Peter. I do not seek to disparage Peter today. I am identifying myself with Peter. Like Peter is all of us, okay? Peter is all of us because Peter is coming to the table with certain expectations and he's not wrong for them. Like he's misunderstood some things, but it doesn't, it's not a bad thing or, or a horrible thing. You have to understand that Peter is coming to the table with, with these expectations that he's grown up with, that he's heard his whole life, but that is coupled with all of the things that Jesus has done to this, up until this point, right? Jesus has miraculously hosted a dinner party for over 5,000 people, and then he does it again for 4,000. Jesus has healed people in incredible and unexpected ways. Jesus has gone head to head with the religious leaders and authorities and has left them speechless every time. And you just know that Peter's like, yeah, take that, right? Jesus has calmed raging storms. He has cast out demons. He has raised people from the dead. He has walked on water. Jesus holds this incredible power and the disciples acknowledge that and they are happily along for this ride. That is until Jesus explains where this thing is going, where he and ultimately the disciples are headed. And so with that, I'm going to invite you to stand if you can, if you're able, as we read Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. So he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he then rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said these words, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels." Oh, this is the word of God for the people of God. Are you thankful? Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It's okay if you're thankful, but also like this again. Didn't we just do this a few weeks ago? Don't worry. We're taking it. We're coming to it from a different kind of pl- or different angle. 
But I want to ask you, have you ever had a, a particular idea of something in your mind? or a particular image in your mind, like you have been planning something, you have been working towards something, you've had everything pictured out all perfectly in your mind, and then suddenly you are being told, you're being asked to reimagine everything that you thought you knew. You're being asked to relearn everything you thought you knew. You had all these understandings, you were there, you, you were there. You understood like what this thing is about, where this thing is going, who you are, who you've been called to be, and then suddenly you are having to relearn all that you thought you had figured out, all that you thought you knew. I imagine that being what Peter and the disciples are going through in this moment. They've had certain expectations. They've been headed in a certain direction, and Jesus is disrupting that entirely. And now they have to relearn everything they thought they knew. And, and again, I want to say that Peter is all of us right now. Not bashing Peter, not trying to make him sound like uh, some dumb guy that should have known better. Really, I identified with Peter this week as I thought about how every person has to come to grips with what they mean when they confess Christ as Lord. You following me? You know how a lot of us, were, we confessed Christ when we were children, and so we spent the majority of our lives kind of following, following our, the coattails of our families, of our parents, our grandparents, the those in, that worked in children's ministry or youth ministry or our pastors, we kind of just rode on the coattails of those who helped us to come to the place where we confess Christ. But what was missing for many of us was, was this intimate relationship, right? We were just kind of along for the ride. We enjoyed the good aspects of what it meant to follow Jesus, but we weren't ever brought to this place where we had to decide and acknowledge if we were all in, completely committed to this path, to this journey, even if it's not what we expected. Peter is all of us because we all come to a place where we have to decide if we are in this or if we were just kind of following along with mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, youth leader, pastor. It's kind of like how what we see in our world today are a lot of cultural Christians, right? Cultural Christianity. I know that a lot of us think that, that the culture is not favorable to Christianity and to Christians, but in a lot of ways, culture is very favorable, and, and it's a really comfortable environment for cultural Christians. Cultural Christians are, are Christians who have made some sort of confession, like some sort of confession has been made, right? Just like Peter, some sort of confession about who Jesus is has been made. But what is missing is an intimate relationship with Jesus that informs how you live, what you do, what you say, what you don't do, what you don't say, how you love, how you don't love, and how you follow daily in the cues of Christ, looking and living and loving like him. As a pastor, I, it's very important for me for, that we understand that cultural Christians tend to believe that they can be good Christians by way of attending church, being baptized, checking the boxes, being a good person. And I'm not necessarily saying that Peter is the ancient equivalent to a cultural Christian, but here's what I'm wondering. 
I'm wondering, is it possible that like Peter, we have all confessed Christ? And yet, like Peter, we deny and we rebuke certain aspects of his Christness and how he wants to be Christ in us. Are you with me? For instance, I think like Peter, the Jesus we want is the one who rides in on a war horse to eliminate our enemies, right? Who doesn't want that? That's the Jesus that we can sign up for and under, yep. But the Jesus who lets his enemies crucify him to a cross in in the name of, of love, the kind of love that God wants to demonstrate to the entire world, The Jesus who comes in with whips and cords and drives out those he opposes in the temple? Yes. Yes, I, I am, sign me up for that. But the Jesus who does this in solidarity with the poor and the marginalized, implying what we ought to be doing in, ter- in terms of the poor and the marginalized? Oh. The Jesus who is able to wipe out his enemies with one command? Yes. Sign us up. That's what we want. But the Jesus who teaches us to turn the other cheek, to love and pray for our enemies, it's a lot harder of a sell. The Jesus who pursues us, you're going to like this one, with relentless love and grace, like I love you, I'm coming after you, I'm chasing you down, I'm never going to leave, I'm I'm always going to be coming after you because my love for you is so great. Yes, sign me up for that Jesus. The Jesus who then calls us to commitment, to holiness, to growth, to maturity, to daily surrender and accountability. Oh, that's, can we just stop with the Jesus that pursues relentlessly, right? These are the, these are the unspoken truths that define, if not us, many who might call themselves cultural Christians. We could go on and on. The point that I'm trying to make is, At one moment, at some point, we, like Peter, must come to terms with what it means to follow Jesus in the way that he's called us to follow. And we have this beautiful moment where, God bless him, we get to see Peter grappling with that in real time. (laughs) Well, you know what I mean. Like, we get an inside look as to what it looked like for someone who we can identify with, who is grappling with this in real time who confesses, yes, Jesus, you are the Messiah, you're the one that we've been waiting for, and yet in the same breath, rebuke or deny what that actually entails. And I think that for those of us who live in a consumeristic culture, this is all the more easy because we get to pick and choose the aspects. That's what we do in our culture, right? It's have it your way. If you don't like this combo, you can substitute it for another one. You can have it your way. You can do it however is convenient for you. That's the, that's the, the idea of culture consumeristic Christianity. You take what you want, you leave what you don't want, and what you have is a half-baked Christian who doesn't really look and walk and live like Jesus. And what we've reduced Christianity, Christianity down to in general, bear with me, is posting a few quippy memes and anecdotes on social media, and that's it. They know, right? They ought, they ought to know what Jesus, who Jesus is. Ooh, this is hard. I'm acknowledging this is hard and uncomfortable. And to be clear, I think as we read through this, it sounds like Jesus' response to Peter is really harsh. 
right? I mean, it sounds like Jesus has just called Peter Satan. Here's my thing. I'm not convinced that, that Jesus has just called Peter Satan, okay? I'm not really convinced of that. What, what I tend to think as I was sitting with this, I think that Jesus, remember, especially for those of you who were here last Sunday and listened to Dwight's sermon, this is Jesus who has just come out of the wilderness not too long ago, where fully God, but fully human, was, was tempted to take the easy way out, right? He was tempted to not take the long, hard road uh, to the cross, but was tempted with, with power and with uh, control and, and the ability to take the easy way out, right? Jesus walked through the wilderness for 40 days, and having come out of the wilderness, although he is probably stronger and more reliant upon his father, is still tempted to take the easy road. And we see that all the way up until the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Like it doesn't stop for him. And so what I think is happening here is that Jesus is acknowledging that that temptation is still there. That temptation to to not have to deny himself. And, And he's having to, in this moment, lean on the strength of the Father to continue on this long, hard journey to the cross. He's recognizing that the enemy, the adversary, the Satan, will not miss any opportunity to tempt Jesus or those who follow him to take the easy way out. And so he says, get behind me, Satan. And I like how the message puts it. Listen, the message, Eugene Peterson does something really kind of interesting here. The message says it like this, turning and seeing his disciples, because that part struck me that Jesus, before responding to Peter, did you notice that? Jesus looks at his disciples. Like Peter has just rebuked and denied the way that Christ wants to go about being Christ. And and before responding to Peter, Jesus pauses and notices the other disciples. I love how Eugene Peterson captures that in the message, turning and seeing his disciples wavering, wondering what to believe, like, whoa, 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 what's happening? Jesus confronts Peter, and he says, Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. And then he calls the crowd to join his disciples. And he just tells all of them. He says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. In other words, let me be Christ the way that I have resolved to be Christ. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. There she goes again. (laughs) Talking about suffering and denial, and renunciation. It's difficult. And I can't stand up here and pretend, as much as I want to make it sound like less difficult and more appealing, I can't pretend that following Jesus to the cross is easy. Because as Jesus is clearly painting, I mean, if Jesus didn't make it look rosy, who am I? Following Jesus to the cross is anything but easy. And I'll say it again, because I think that, you know, it's probably easy for people to wonder, like, why do we, why do we acknowledge seasons like Advent and Lent? Why can't we just celebrate Christmas and Easter? Why do we have to go through these seasons like Advent and Lent? And what does that even mean? And I've said it before, and I stand before you and say, with everything in me, that I'm not interested in doing something just for the sake of doing it, because it's cool, because it's hip, 
because it's what Nazarenes do now, because it's what people of my generation are doing now. Like, I am not in this for anything other than the renewal that this season has to offer. That following seasons of Advent and Lent are, are intentionally placing us, the people of God, back into the story of God, which informs who we are to be as the people of God who are in his story. And if there's a season that puts us there intentionally and offers some sort of renewal that coming out on the other side, we can actually experience the power of the resurrection in, a, in such a way because we experience the power of the resurrection through these 40 days, I'm here for that renewal. I'm desperate for that renewal. I need that renewal. That's what this season is about for me. I want that to be what it's about for us. This is who we are. This is who Jesus is. This is who he's calling us to be. And so if walking intentionally through a season helps us to do that, then I'm going to lead us there. But I want you to understand that that's why we're doing this. Uh, several years ago, before the season of Lent began, Nazarene Theological Seminary president and professor Jaron Rowell said this about Lent, and I think it perfectly captures where my heart is as I journey us through, or as we journey through the season. He says, Lent calls us away from easy religion. It presses upon our hearts the radical claims of the gospel. It confronts us with the obedience, suffering, and death of Jesus Christ that, by the way, we so badly want to avoid because of what it means for us. And it forces us to hear again his disturbing words that we would just much rather not hear. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And back to the part where I don't want you to misunderstand the message of Lent. Like, this is not about dying for the sake of dying, right? This is not about rituals or walking through a season where we pretend like we're suffering, but we're not actually suffering, but I'm going to give something up that makes me feel like I might be suffering, but I'm not really suffering. Like, what, what I'm calling us to is to be open to the ways that Christ wants to go about being Christ in us. Whatever that means, being open to that, dying to whatever keeps us from, from Christ being who he wants to be in us, but for the sake of resurrection and renewal. Not dying just for dying's sake, but because of this little, uh, these few words in this passage that I think we so easily miss. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected but, and, and killed, but after three days rise again. I mean, that is the crux of this passage. This is not about dying just for the sake of dying. This is not about the mission of Christ being about suffering and dying, and that's it, but it's about resurrection that comes on the other side of dying. This is about experiencing the power of the resurrection that makes itself available to us right here, right now. This is about the power of the resurrected Christ who is working in us, among us, through us, all around us, but we so easily miss it because everything in this world distracts us from the message of the gospel. The hope for me is that on the other side of this season of Lent, that we would come to Easter morning with this sense of, maybe like we've never had before, of, of of anticipation. 
The season of Lent is about denial, but it's about a denial that leads to renewal. And we desperately need the kind of renewal that the season of Lent is meant to offer. It's a renewal that reminds us of our frailty and our fickleness. A renewal that reminds us of who Jesus is, who we are, where we are, and yet who Jesus is calling us to be. It's a renewal that reminds us of God's grace that meets us again and again and again, and it is more than enough. We desperately need the kind of renewal that reminds us of the resurrection power that comes on the other side of denial and death. It's the resurrection power that is made available to us every single day. That is what I'm after. Like Peter we too are reluctant to accept the way that Christ goes about being Christ. And we're reluctant to accept what that means for us. We too confess Christ. We've probably all done that. And yet find moments where we're tempted to rebuke and deny the way that Christ wants to be Christ in us. We confess Christ and yet we are tempted so easily with a lust for things like power, control, desires, selfish motives, anything that mars the image of Christ in us. But Lent is a time where we can look at this symbol and we can intentionally enter into a season of wilderness, a season of remembrance, remembering who we are and what we are about, informed by Christ. It's a season where we can lay down and take up. It's a season where we can prepare and come out on the other side renewed, but only after doing it intentionally, as Dwight so wonderfully reminded us. See, this image is a symbol. This image that we actually placed on our foreheads on Ash Wednesday so beautifully. This image is, is a picture of what I mean when I, again, borrow the words of a pastor who says, Lent is about looking at ourselves and looking at Christ and confessing the difference. This image is that. This image reminds us that there is a difference. It reminds us of our frailty, of our dustiness, if you will. But Lent is a season, as Esau Macaulay says, where we can recapture our love for God and his kingdom, and we can cast off those things that so easily entangle us. What's entangling us? What's keeping us from being the people, the person that Christ wants us to be? What's standing in the way of Christ going about being Christ in us? I'm going to ask the praise team to come. And this is where, well, my last line that I had planned was, or the last part that I had planned out before this morning was, that Jesus, like, this is good news, friends, that Jesus was, I love that Peter's story is just beginning, right? Like, if you know Peter's story, it's the best. I love Peter's story. And it's, it's just beginning. It is only beginning. This is not the end for Peter. Jesus is far beyond, fin or, you know, he is not anywhere close to being finished with Peter, and he is far from being finished with us. That's where I had planned to end today's message. But 
For the past several days, this question kept coming to mind, and I don't know who it's for. I don't know why it kept coming to mind, but out of faithfulness to what I sense to be the Holy Spirit, this question that kept coming to mind as we talk about Christ being Christ in us, the way that he goes about being Christ in us, the question that I couldn't get away from is, what are you afraid of? There it is. I don't know who it's for. What are you afraid of? Are we afraid of the ways in which Christ wants to be Christ in us? Does that mean having to reimagine everything we thought we knew about following Jesus to the cross? Does it mean having to give up something that is keeping Christ from being Christ fully in us? All I could think of was, what are we afraid of? Why are we so resistant to the ways that Christ wants to be Christ in us? Would you pray with me? God, I don't know what you want to do with that question. I don't know who that question is for or what it means. But I know that after living a certain way or living with certain ideas for such a long time, it's really difficult to reimagine everything we thought we knew. And for some of us, we have maybe identified, not in shame, but we can identify that we are a classic cultural Christian, or we have been, or we can easily be a cultural Christian. And we easily confess Jesus is Lord, Christ is Messiah, Christ is King of my life. And yet we can so easily jump out there and say, oh, but, oh, I don't want you to be Christ in that way. That's not what I thought that meant. God, we all have those moments. We have all had those moments. Jesus, I know that you are working in all of our lives to draw us closer to you because we all have a long ways to go. Some of us have come a long way, but we have a long ways to go. We fight daily battles and temptations and vices. And maybe you're calling us to turn away and to turn to you. And that's scary. It's difficult. And so we give you permission, Lord. We give you permission, Jesus, to be Jesus in us how you see fit. Help us to get out of your way. Most importantly, help us to see that this is not for the sake of pain or discomfort, that we are, we are walking towards resurrection life. That this is for a purpose that your love is so great. Your love is so alive. It is active. It's breathing. It's living. It's in all of us. And it's bringing us into resurrected life that helps us to follow you as you always intended. It's power. Jesus, I thank you for your love, for your resolve, that you, though tempted, didn't waver and that you have set the path for us and you have called us to follow. 
It's in your great love that you were able, as Nikki said earlier, to go all that way without abandoning, even though we've all abandoned, even though we've all wavered, we've all questioned. Your love is enough for us. And we want to spend moments thanking you, praising you for that love and acknowledging that you love us so much that you want to offer us the best, fullest life here on earth as it is in heaven. So we give you permission to do that in the way that you want to do that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. The beautiful thing about the words that Jesus said to deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow me. I wanted to share this quote from Henry Nouwen that says The great illusion of leadership is to think that man can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there. And friends, Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done. That when we take up our cross, we're not just following him, like we're following what he did because he took up his cross first. So as we sing this song and reflect on what Jesus did, I hope that it softens our hearts, that it weakens those fears, those hesitations, because he's already done the work. All we have to do is surrender. So I do want to say a couple things about this song. This is the first time we've done it. You may not know it. And you may not know the words. There's a lot of words. They're really good. So I want to encourage you. If you want to stay seated, you can. I'm going to invite those of you to stand if you would like to. It's definitely a stand-worthy song. Um, to hear these words, to let us just sing this over you, to read them, reflect, and meditate on what we're saying. And some people catch on faster than others, so if you want to sing, I invite you to do that. If you're not one of those people and you just want to listen, no judgment. I just hope that we can hear these words and that they will penetrate our hearts this morning.
you paid the debt I owed. Broke my chains, freed my soul. For the first time I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. saved my life you brought me from the darkness into glorious light you took my place laid inside my tomb of sin you were buried for three days but then you walked right out again now death has no sting and life has no end for i have been transformed by the blood of the lamb thank you jesus for the blood applied thank you jesus it has washed me white Lord. 
say that that is sufficient. We could leave it right there. That Jesus has done all of the work and made it possible for us to walk, to love, to live, to look like him. And what I want to challenge you with, because a lot of this was less maybe practical and more, um, more generally speaking, I'm convinced that Jesus is calling each and every one of us to follow him more closely, that Jesus is offering each and every one of us a specific kind of renewal and resurrection. I'm convinced. And I am convinced that one of the ways that we discover what Jesus is doing in our lives and how we can realize that and recognize that and not be alone in that is to process that in community. And so I would like to ask you to commit this week to talking with another follower of Jesus who looks and loves and walks and lives the way Jesus does. And I want you to talk to that person about how you sense Christ being Christ in you. The challenges, like what he's asking you to to maybe lay down or take up or how he's changing something in your life, how he's working for renewal in your life. It's not limited, but I, I want you to process that with someone this week. And I think that we will all come out on the other side looking more like Christ when we acknowledge the ways that he wants to be Christ in us. So would you commit to doing that? Would you pray about doing that? Because we need each other. We help each other to look more like Jesus. And so friends, I pray that you would go in this, the power that we just sang, this power, this grace, this love of Christ that is more than enough for you. May you walk as sons and daughters of this King. May you know that you are loved, that he is calling you to follow him and has glorious ways of helping you to look more like him all the time. Go in his peace. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day.